0: You have reached a phone call from Paul, a Literary Hub podcast. To hear more, visit lethub.com. Part two of Paul Holden Graber's conversation with Elif Batuman.
1: Very interesting. It's, I mean, it's so interesting to me. Uh, because, because here, I, in a sense, you 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 answered the question about about homeland and 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 parents and your trip to to Turkey as as a way of finding of maybe finding some roots, but but not not quite.
0: Yeah, what I found wasn't weird. that. Also, was a rude awakening, which came a little bit earlier, which is that when I was growing up, I felt I felt foreign because I, you know I was going to school in New Jersey, where I even, I looked a little bit different than the other kids, and my name was definitely different and had to be explained to everyone, and I was just, you know, different in various ways, and I I felt a little bit foreign, and I had it in my head that, oh, the reason that I'm foreign is because I'm partly Turkish, and the the way that you, even that you say that, that people say, like, oh, what are you, and you say, well, I'm I'm Turkish, I'm Turkish-American, so that I thought that when I would go to, Turkey, I would feel more at home, but instead, of course, I felt much less at home because it's a place where I almost never was. And just the fact that I had a name that sounded very, like, you know, indigenous to people didn't do anything to mitigate the feeling of, you know, if anything, it it, it exacerbated the feeling of alienation because, like, now, you know, I I speak Turkish with a slight accent, and I I go to Starbucks sometimes, and they ask for my name, and they're expecting a foreign name, and then I'm like, you know, Elif, and (laughs) they think I'm they're surprised, so you know, having a having a Turkish name is a liability both in America and for me in Turkey.
1: And the and the question of accent, I mean, who am I to talk about it, right? But the the question <laughs> the the question of accent is so so amazing. I mean I'm I'm asked this question as you can imagine so often, you know, where is my accent from? And I always I love the clip of you talking to Werner Herzog. I, I know. What, what do you make of that? I mean, you know, who can you understand either of us? <laughs> yeah, it's
0: fantastic. I
1: mean, you know, it's Thanks to the content. I, I mean, it really, it really, you know, Werner and I. People, people sort of think, my goodness, you know, who sounds more like the other? But you know, um, um, what, what. I mean, you know, I have a, a standard answer. The way you you had one for the possessed. When people ask me where this accent is from, I I simply say to them it's affected. But um, you know, but but the question of the possessed. Your your incredible. Um, what what can one call it? I mean, it's 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 a possessed journey through um, a, a, a the the a, the, a, the obsessed landscape of Russian literature for you. And it's you know it's a book that I, I I I cherish in the door, and in 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 a sense, to to my mind, it's it's a, f- a call for freedom. I mean, this doesn't belong to anybody in particular; it it belongs to wh- whoever discovers it.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you for saying that.
1: But but I- I- isn't that the case? I mean, we you know the the notion of home. Which, of course, has something to do with where you're born and where your parents are from, and all of that. But it also—I mean—there's an old Jewish saying that says that the only people you really choose, which is, of course, completely paradoxical and maybe totally invented on my part, but it—but <laughs> it says that the only people you choose are your parents. I mean, of course, it makes no sense, but 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 but, but I understand it in some in some mysterious way. Right. That we, we, we elect people and, and, of course, our parents then become, our real parents then become the subject of, of, of such controversy and so much rumination and so much analysis and so much, you know, we, we you know, both, both as parents and as being parents, one when, when begins to think, you know, w- what effect does one have? What effect did they have on us? Um, why did I, Elif, choose Russian literature. What, what, I mean, how, how did that come about? Yeah. How did it come about? How did it come about? Yeah. Um. I mean, what, what, I mean, for me, um, I'm sorry, I'm giving you a lot of time to, to answer that question, but for me, when I had meningitis, and my father diagnosed it was in seconds because he was a his only regret in life is that he never managed to study medicine fully in Vienna because he was born in nineteen eighteen and the war broke out as you know in nineteen thirty nine and and of course he fled just in time to spend the war years in haiti um but he had on his fingertips the ability to diagnose um, and to really know. And he knew that his son, age 16, had meningitis. And what did he give me? Because meningitis can make you go bananas. I mean, some people might say that meningitis had that effect on me. Well, one, one thing he gave me, and you spend a lot of time in the dark slowly coming to light, what he gave to me was the idiot. So I think I think in a rare moment of extreme humor, he gave me the idea to read, and that changed the course of my life. Of course, I mean, of course, not of course, but somehow reading Dostoevsky in those years meant everything.
0: Yeah, I'm actually my uh, the novel I'm working on now is called The Idiot. Oh really? <laughs> it's a it's semi autobiographical novel that I decided to call The Idiot.
1: How, how fascinating. Yeah,
0: I mean, I'm, I'm hoping I don't run into copyright
1: problems. But. Oh, well, you know, you, you can always, if, if you do, you can, you can use uh, Groucho Marx's line when he was attacked for a movie called Casablanca and Warner Brothers called up and he said, you know, we were brothers before you were.
0: At first
1: Yeah, <laughs> there you have it. You, you and Prince Muchkine were, th- were there together. But uh, I- is it an interesting question to to wonder how the possessed came about? I mean, how how this. One of the pa-
0: things they, you know, they, um, they uh, I mean, I'm getting regressive as I, as I talk about it. But uh, one of the things that the publisher wanted was an introduction that explains um, why Russian. And then so i i wrote that introduction and then that turned out to then be something that had to be explained um with this why why the, I, I remember going to an interview um in australia and and before they said oh you know are there any questions that, are there any subjects that you particularly want to talk about or particularly don't want to talk about and i remember saying oh you know the, the one question I, I would rather not answer is why the russians and the interviewer um, actually started to cry. She said, I, "I don't see how we can go forward
1: with this interview without the question why the Russians." Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. We can go forward uh, <laughs> perfectly well without ever knowing wh- why the Russians. So let's let's. It's
0: why? I, I oh. mean, I do have an answer. It was for me. It was Anna Karenina, and I read it not when I was physically sick, but um, over the summer. I was sort of housebound in Ankara, and it was my mother's old copy. And it was it was the right thing at the right time. I also had a violin teacher who was Russian, who I thought was just very. Um, I don't know. That was just one of the most. <sighs> I've been thinking a lot about that actually, because school. I mean, I liked school, but I don't know that I learned that much. I feel like from those violin lessons, I learned a lot about actually about writing and about making things and about performance, and that came through this mediation of Russianness. And then when I went to college, um, I thought I was going to major in linguistics and I had to learn a, another language and I signed up for Russian and then I, I just ended up doing that.
1: You know, um, one comment that, that matters to me greatly there and, and we won't speak more about it, um, for all the reasons you mentioned earlier and because my, my question isn't a good one, um. But the right thing—it's
0: just—it's a, a difficult one. Yeah,
1: and and and, and who cares? I mean, I, everybody cares, but but that's not really what 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 matters most. You you happened upon it, but what does matter? Or at least, Elif, what matters to me so much? We spoke about that a tiny little bit when we met, but but only in passing. Is is the right thing at the right time?
0: Yeah, totally can't be over can't be overestimated
1: say say more just just the way you the way you said totally says says so much and i I want to get out of the way of of what you're thinking
0: oh i mean i don't it's, it's a it's a huge mystery right I, I mean taste in general is a huge why does one thing move someone so much and you can be so moved by something and then someone can tell you all the reasons that it's not so great and you can See them all and understand them. It's, it's a problem that I'm having with, with criticism a lot. And then there's a whole other dimension, which is the time that something reaches you is, I mean, I think we've all had the experience of the the right thing comes to you at the wrong time, and it means nothing to you. And then it comes to you later. And it means everything. And you can't even understand what it was that you didn't see before. And I don't know how, It's sometimes it feels like you know, a miracle that we ever find that anything ever gets through to us at all when you, when you think of all the things that have to line up.
1: And you know, it, it strikes me as as you talk about this, that you're talking as much about books as you're talking about people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you can just completely miss the boat with a person or a work of any kind of art. It's like there is a there's a narrative that I guess is going on in your head and when it intersects with other narratives, whether those are someone else's life, or a book, or a movie, or you know, even a picture—I don't know what—a funny YouTube clip—it has to. There has to be some place for it to stick in the, in the story that you're telling yourself, or else it just doesn't. It's like, as my my old professor would say, it's like a Christmas ornament without a tree. There's nowhere to put it.
1: Oh, beautiful! But you know, it it, it also for me it has to do with with sometimes simply a word. One word can strike you. That's you, true. You know, one word that someone says, or obviously in my case, since I, I, I suffer terribly from a disease called quotomania, <laughs> um, you know, it, it it can be a quotation which just just doesn't manage to leave you, or you don't manage to to leave it. But you know, one thing that that I'm just well, I'm I'm fascinated by it now that I'm getting older. But I was fascinated by it even when I was younger. Though you might add that I was also at that point getting older, which is the the notion the the relationship between taste and aging, or aging and taste.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: And what and what we remain faithful to, and why, and why certain books, um, you know, I, I imagine in your case, rereading Anna Karenina would never be, would probably always be. I don't know if it always would be a pleasure, but it would always be something you would wish to do. Yeah,
0: I have read it a few times, and it, it hasn't it hasn't let me down yet, and it, it has. The, you know the characters who you identify with change as you get older and you see different things and you understand things differently and that's that's one of the pleasures, although it's you know it also kind of reminds me of that passion to talk on the telephone to your school friend, which I actually remember actually my my closest friend from ages you know six to twelve. I still know her, and she's actually a writer. She's a novelist. Her name is Dara Horn, and I still see her, and it's, it's wonderful to see her. But but I remember that that like passion to talk to Dara, and we could just sit on the phone for four hours and want to talk and talk and talk. And I, you know, you don't feel that anymore as as an adult. And there's something about that first captivation with certain books that I don't know if I I don't know if if it if it comes back in adulthood or what exactly happens to it. I, I feel like I still get little glimpses of it, but I don't know how much that has to do with technology or just getting
1: older. Uh, are there no, no primordial experiences for you now? By By that I mean something that you feel possessed by, something that takes you that sort of th- I do
0: definitely have that reading experience, which is a wonderful thing that'll last, you know, a few days or a week or depending on how long the book is, where it's like, I can't wait to get home and read this, whatever it is. I can't wait for the next installment. But then the, they don't tend to stay with me or, you know, change my reality the way that that things do when, when I was younger, which I guess is good because, I mean, who could survive like
1: that? True. Um you know, I, I often, I, I told you earlier on that I, I, I suffer from this disease, but there there is a line in Kierkegaard which I adore.
0: Maybe it came from the meningitis.
1: Maybe it did. Maybe it did. Let me just lie down now, and, and we can we can talk about it slightly more. But what I would say <laughs> is if there is this one line, Elif, which I love, um, where Kierkegaard says that the goal is to arrive at immediacy... After reflection, hmm.
0: immediacy after reflection that's beautiful,
1: isn't it mm-hmm. because I mean you and I probably at least I'll speak for myself, and you can chime in if you feel like it, but i I have bitten in in the in the Bible it's a little too too literal, it says the uh, apple, but I've bitten the fruit, there's no doubt, right. so. Uh, purity is not a given to me at any moment but now in in this state of of in this post lapsarian state what what can i do to to claim a territory where i feel i feel so moved i mean i i, I think of you know ben Lerner's extraordinary book in my view leaving the turcha station and i think I think to myself um, of that moment when in the Prado Museum he sees someone who just begins crying because they see a painting and the guards are very worried, you know, what's happening to this person? And obviously what's happening to this person, it would seem, is that this person is touched, so touched, so deeply touched by the tears that the painting produces and of course, there's, there's some irony, perhaps, in in the way Ben Ben talks about it, but still, I mean, this is what what we hope for. We hope to, if not cry, to somehow be moved so so deeply that it it sort of changes the way we we feel when we when we leave the painting, or leave the work of art, or leave the piece of music, and I and I somehow. I, I really like yourself. I really feel that, and I'm—I really want my money back.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, as a crier, I—I um, I would say that there's a line between the two between crying at the moment and being changed. But I, I do definitely see what you mean, and and agree that there's some pre-lapsarian state that it would be great to get back
1: well let's let's hope that somehow we 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 find something that that moves us so
0: maybe we'll just you know get a stroke and it'll just happen
1: perhaps elif it's it's a real real pleasure to speak to you, and I can't wait to see you again and and I'm glad to to um to have uh i don't know if if it's uh what have I done to your phone baptized it probably. <laughs> probably not that it. yes something something a girl speech. yeah something it's 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 no longer a virgin phone it's it's a new kind of phone and and i hope i hope you use it but only when you want to
0: <laughs> okay thank you and, i can't think of any more auspicious way to to begin the career of this next stage in my life
1: which, well th- phone. thank you thank you and and see you soon and and uh I can't, I can't wait for, for, for The Idiot. You know, one of, one of the books I, 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 I love of, of criticism, not all of it, um, and I can't claim to have read all of it either, might I, might I add, but Sartre wrote a book on Flaubert, which is three volumes long, as you probably know, called L'Idiot de Famille, The Idiot of the Family. <laughs> and and you know, do you know where the title comes from? I don't know. Well, Flaubert was called by his father, who was a medical doctor in Rouen in 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 the north um east of France, northwest of France. He was called the idiot of the family. Oh, Flaubert wow. Gustave was because he had trouble reading.
0: Oh, wow. Well, so that's Charles Bovary right there. Yeah,
1: so he read so he, his big problem in reading uh, Flaubert's was that he read every word but couldn't make it into a sentence. Hmm. Hmm.
0: It's like a boardhead's character.
1: Yeah, truly, huh? Listen, all the best to you. Okay. Take good care of yourself. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: The Other People with Brad Listy podcast is a free weekly program featuring in-depth, inappropriate interviews with today's leading authors. You can hear me in conversation with everybody from George Saunders to Cheryl Strayed to Hilt Owls, Susan Orlean, Roxanne Gay, Jonathan Franzen, Maggie Nelson, Brett Easton Ellis, Otessa Moshfegh, and many more. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and the entire archive is available for free. That's hundreds of conversations with great writers, uncensored. Go get it. Visit otherppl.com. And follow the show on Twitter at other
1: ppl.